I'd invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn in them to the Gospel of Luke as we continue in our series regarding the certainty of a Savior. Luke chapter 20, and this morning we're going to be reading beginning at the 27th verse and continue to the 40th verse. I'd ask out of honor and respect for God's Word, if you're able, to let's stand at this time for the reading of God's Word and remain standing for, for prayer. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die any more because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But the dead are raised. Even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any questions. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray on prayer, shall we? Father, with our eyes, our eyes on you and our Bibles open before you this morning, we ask that you would write your word upon our hearts, that through it, and by it we might be given strength for today and hope for tomorrow. This we ask you to do for Jesus' sake. Amen. Would you be seated, please? Well, yesterday we celebrated the birth of our nation. It's the 4th of July. It was a bit of a subdued celebration in light of the current situation. But I think it's safe to say that our nation has been greatly blessed by God. But it's also seen its share of difficulties. And right now, we're in the midst of such difficult days. With the virus and much of what we see on the news, there seems to be a lot of fear and uncertainty in our culture today here in America. Fear and uncertainty not only for ourselves, but for other people. This week, I, I tried to think back about the first time that, that I personally remembered seen anything close to this kind of emotion in our country. And, and my mind was taken back to a very early time in my life, my early teens. I was probably 13 or 14 years of age. It was the late 60s and early 70s. Um, much like our own day, uh, it was a difficult time in our nation. 
There were protests in the streets, there were buildings being burned, and there was even a war going on, the Vietnam War. And much like today, it too was a time of fear and a time of, of uncertainty. Around 1971, a guy by the name of John Lennon wrote a song. Does that name, does anybody know that name? Just raise your hand. Okay, I was nervous about sharing that because I thought, will anybody know who he was? But then I was assured that you would. Lennon, of course, was one of the Beatles. And he wrote a song that I guess he hoped would somehow speak into the crazy times. And the song was titled, Imagine. And it went something like this. Imagine there's no country. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. And then there was this line. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope one day you'll join us and the world will be as one. End of the quote. Now, what if Lenin was right? What if there's no religion, no hell below us, above us only sky? And all we had to live for was right now, today. Well, if you didn't know better, you might think that John Lennon had been hanging around the folks that we're introduced to in our passage this morning, the Sadducees. Just who were they? Well, the church historian Josephus describes the Sadducees as very well-to-do people, men of, of high regard, high esteem. And here in verse 27 of our passage, Luke tells us that one of their core beliefs, one of the things that really shaped their lives was this belief that there was no resurrection. Much like Lenin, they didn't believe in the afterlife. And so they, they come after Jesus. <laughs> you know, Jesus was complicating these men's lives. For you see, they had already cornered the money exchange system that we looked at a few weeks ago that Jesus had just broken up. And so he was kind of getting in their pockets, if you will. And so they had to figure out some kind of way to discredit Jesus. So this little group of people... Some commentators suggest that they were arrogant and even rude. They come to Jesus with, with kind of a riddle, all designed to show the sheer absurdity of the resurrection. Look with me at verse 28. He says, they say, teacher, Moses wrote for us. Let's stop right there. They knew the Bible. <laughs> What they're doing with that statement is they're reaching back into the Old Testament, specifically to Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6, which said this. No need to turn. If a man's brother dies, having a wife, but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. 
Now what the Sadducees did is they take this law of Moses and they present Jesus with one of the most harebrained scenarios one could imagine at that time. Luke tells us about it here in verse 29. He says, now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and third took her and likewise all seven left no children and died. And afterward the woman also died. In the resurrection, Jesus. I mean, I don't know. You've got to be careful doing this. But can't you just kind of picture them standing there? Hey, Jesus, in the resurrection, whose wife will this woman be? I can't help but think that there's a little bit of cockiness and arrogance there. What are they trying to do? Well, they think if Jesus denies the law of Moses, he'll discredit himself. On the other hand, if he agrees with the law of Moses, he's really in a pickle because he'll never be able to explain the situation that just set before him. And so what's Jesus do? We don't have it here in this passage, but in the parallel accounts, we learn that Jesus answers them in this way. And I just love this. He says, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Just as a little aside here, I love Jesus for a lot of reasons, but from a human perspective, I just love the man he was. He was just a man. He knew what he believed, he knew why he believed it, and he didn't have any problem saying it. I just love that about Jesus. You're wrong, guys. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. So what does Jesus do? He starts to expose the flaws in their thinking and in so doing confirms the reality of the resurrection. In this passage, Jesus speaks of two ages, of this age, verse 34, and the age to come in verse 35. And what he wants this crowd to see, and I think what he wants us to see this morning, folks, and boy, are we living in days when we need to hear it. Jesus offers us hope, (laughs) the hope of a better age, a future that the apostle Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 as a glorious age, one that is beyond comparison. Now, the question in my mind when I read that from the Apostle Paul, why, Paul, what will make this age to come so glorious and so beyond comparison? Well, we could look at a lot of reasons this morning, but i got to stay with the text. And, And here in this passage, Jesus focuses on what I believe to be two reasons why the age to come is going to be so glorious. The first one, and I'll go ahead and tell you, when you hear it, you're you're not going to like it. You probably won't like me before it's over with because I'm going to be the one who says it. But the reality is Jesus says it. And if you'll just hang in there with me for a little bit and let me try to explain it, I think, I hope, I pray, (laughs) you'll be able to appreciate what Jesus is saying to us. Second reason, I don't think you'll have a whole lot of problem with it. 
You ready? Let's look at them. Two reasons. Two-point sermon. The first reason that I believe that the age to come is going to be so glorious is because there will be no more marriage. Look at verse 34. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Quote, Jesus, Lord, King, God, Jesus said that. Now you look at that and if you're happily married, the fact that Jesus is saying you won't be married in the age to come, I got to be honest, sounds anything but glorious, right? The other day I was leading a men's Bible study. We had somebody new in the group, so I thought in an effort to kind of, for him to meet everybody and get to know the other guys, uh, I asked everyone to tell a little about their lives and their, and their spouses and give us her name and that sort of thing. And, how long they've been married. Now listen very closely as everybody shared. There were seven or eight of us, I guess. And, and to the man, every one of those men, uh, when referencing their wives, says something along the lines of, um, I've been married to my precious, darling, lovely, dear wife for however many years. And that didn't surprise me because... As somebody who's been married to my wife for 40 years, and for at least most of those years, I would describe our marriage as a happy one, except when I did something crazy. It's, it's been good, good. So when Jesus, when Jesus says what he does here, I want to say, Jesus, excuse me. <laughs> Just, what, excuse me. How can heaven really be heaven without my Phyllis? Or if you're a wife here today and you're asking, how can it be precious without your, your husband? For those of us who are happily married, Jesus' words, are they're kind of hard to take. At least they are for me. Some ask, well, will we even know each other? Man, I sure hope so. I don't know. I, I just don't know. I, can't, I don't know. But I do know this. According to Jesus, there's not going to be any marriage in heaven. And if you're happily married, admittedly, that's tough to swallow. On the other hand, if you're unhappily married or in a broken marriage, the fact is that there will, the fact that there will be no more marriage in heaven might come as a relief to you. At least in the next stage, in the age to come, all the hardship you've encountered in your marriage here, you won't have to be concerned about there because you're not going to be married. Just what's Jesus saying with this statement? And what in the world does it have to do with the resurrection? The glorious day to come when he comes back and our bodies are raised from the grave and we spend eternity with him. What's it got to do with any of that? Is Jesus saying that the institution of marriage is not important? Not at all. Scripture applauds marriage and procreation. So what's he saying? I believe what Jesus is saying 
is that the relationship we enjoy here with our spouses, as good as it is, brothers and sisters cannot hold a candle to the relationship we're going to enjoy in the age to come with Jesus as our bride. John Piper, in his excellent little book, This Momentary Marriage, has this to say. Listen to this. He says, very soon the shadows will give way to reality. The partial will pass into the perfect. The foretaste will lead to the banquet. The troubled past will end in paradise. A 100 candle lit evenings will come to their consummation in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this momentary marriage will be swallowed up by the love of Christ. And the purpose of marriage will be complete. Listen to me. If you're in Christ, that's what we have to look forward to. That's, that's incredible that Christ would love us that much. Look, if you're here today and you're married, please give thanks for your spouse and your marriage. But let me just say this, and I want to be careful here. Please don't make your spouse Please don't make your marriage the ultimate thing in your life because guess what? It's not. Jesus is. And so live in such a way that your marriage points others to Christ and his love for the church. And while we're on it, let me just say this to those of you who are single. Jesus' words should be a tremendous encouragement to you as well. For you see, just as marriage is momentary, singleness is also temporary. You need to know that in the glorious age to come, as part of the bride of Christ, you will enter into an eternal relationship with Christ that will be so much better than any relationship you might enjoy in this age. So much better. And so Jesus... King Jesus, our precious shepherd Jesus, offers us the hope of a better age, a better kind of future, a future where every good thing we might experience in marriage here will be experienced by all believers there in that age forever. It'll it'll be an age where we'll experience an intimacy and a closeness with one another that will be so much better than the closeness we experience here. It'll be an age where everything that is hard in our relationships here And let's be honest, sometimes they are. We'll be gone there. No more hurt feelings between spouses. No more hurtful words. No more secrets. No more loneliness. And that age, the age to come, all that's going to be gone. The pain of misunderstanding, of, of, of singleness, of loneliness. God, the scriptures say, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And that, my dear brothers and sisters, is a reason why I believe it's going to be so glorious to be in that kind of relationship with King Jesus. Don't you agree? That brings us to the second reason why the age to come is going to be so glorious. And that's because in the age to come, there won't be any death. Look again with me at the passage in verse 36. Speaking of those in the age to come, Jesus says they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, sons of resurrection. 
Here our Lord is telling us that in the age to come, we're going to be sons of the resurrection, sons of God, not angels. We get confused about that sometimes. But we're going to be like angels in that we'll be immortal and never die. What will that be like? Earlier I referenced the Apostle Paul. Listen to how he describes it. Listen to how he talks about our resurrection bodies in 1 Corinthians 15. And if you're sitting here this morning with aches and pains, just imagine this. Beginning in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? His response, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. And the glory of the earthly is of another. Then in verse 50 he says this. I tell you this brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I don't know about y'all, but when I read that, I have hope. And let me tell you why. We all know our bodies aren't what they once were, right? I don't care if you're 25, you can't do some things that you did when you're 16. You think you can, but you can't. And I can assure you at 63, I can't do some things that I did when I was 16. I have aches, I have pains, and I'm weak. My back's hurting right now, as is my arm. We all do. But in the age to come, hear me, you're not going to have any aches and pains. Let me tell you something else. You're not going to have to do battle with anybody anymore like, for instance, pharmacies. No offense to anybody here. Seems like every time I go in there, the price is different. No matter what cards you have, well, that's not covered. You're not going to have to deal with any of that anymore. That's going to be gone. You have to deal battle with insurance companies. There won't be any hospitals. There won't be any funeral homes. If you're suffering pain or if you're suffering sickness or if you have a loved one who is, know this. This isn't the end. And I couldn't resist this, so I'm going to say it. Your best life is not now. It's not. It's in the age to come. 
I don't know about you, but in the world we're living in right now, that gives me a lot of comfort. Well, how do we know all of what we've been reading and talking about this morning is true? That there will in fact be a resurrection of dead bodies and there is in fact a glorious age awaiting us. How do we know that? Well, Jesus really wants us to have great confidence in the resurrection. And so he provides us with scriptural support. In verse 37, look what he says. He says, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Now, if you were to look at the reference Jesus is referring to here, it's in, from Exodus 3. When, when God revealed himself to Abraham, it's interesting. He, he didn't say he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He speaks in the present tense. Would that make any sense? if the people he was speaking to were dead? No. Let me tell you why. Because those guys were alive. That's why. They were in the presence of God in relationship with him, awaiting their final resurrection, at which time they would receive the things that they had been promised that they would receive. You see, brothers and sisters, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living, for all live to him. And then finally, in verse 35, Jesus tells us who exactly will enjoy this age to come. In 34, he says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But look at this, those who are considered worthy attain to that age. Just who will be the beneficiaries of the glorious age to come, those who are considered worthy? And you need to know that the worthiness of our Lord, that our Lord speaks of here isn't about something that we do. For the scriptures teach that none of us are worthy. There's no way we can make ourselves worthy to stand in the presence of the Almighty. No, what he's talking about, when he says worthiness, he's talking about something that's been done to us. Worthiness isn't something that comes from within us, but something that God declares about us. That God, by his grace, gives us and we receive from him by faith, by trusting in the obedient life of Jesus to make us right with God. Can I ask you a question this morning? Have you done that? you done that? Are you trusting in Christ and in Christ alone? Oh, I pray that you have, that you might know the real life that is available through Christ, not only in this life, but in the glorious age to come that we've been talking about this morning. Oh, I pray that you know him. Until that age arrives, how are we then to live? I asked a close friend here not long ago to critique a sermon for me that I know and love and trust. And he said, you need more application at the end. I said, okay. So let me give you four points of application. 
we Americans, we love for people to tell us what to do with something, don't we? Well, here's something for us to do. Four points, and they involve our bodies, specifically our eyes, our ears, our tongues, and our hands. We printed them in your worship folder. First of all, our eyes. Let me encourage us this morning in this world that we find ourselves in to stop looking around so much at how messed up things are and start looking ahead to set your hope on the grace that will brought, be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1, 13. Secondly, our ears. I'm going to meddle here some, so bear with me. Would you just join me in asking God to close our ears to all foolishness? There is a lot of foolishness out there in this crazy world. And we're exposed to it every day. Rather, ask God to let your ears be open and attentive to the Word of God. To feast upon it. To marinate your life in it. Thirdly, our tongues. Let's just stop whining and start worshiping. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And fourthly, our hands. Throw yourself into the service of others. Keep at it. Whatever you do, do it with all your might. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. My dear friends, John Lennon could not have been more wrong. He was a foolish man. We need not imagine anything, but we can know with certainty that we have a Father who loves us. We have a Savior who's coming for us, and we have a Spirit that's going to get us there. And when we get there, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. Let's pray. Father, how sweet it is to draw up a chair and focus on your word this morning. We thank you, O Christ, for reminding us this morning that you have prepared a great hope for us as your people, that this isn't it. And oh, how we look forward to that time when we will be together. Lord, grant now grace to us to live in a way that will be pleasing to you. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.